I've been reading a uh, biography of David Wilkerson, and uh, I've been really encouraged through his life story. I don't know if you've uh, heard of David Wilkerson, but he was the founder of Teen Challenge. He was a world evangelist, and many considered him a modern-day prophet. He started Times Square Church, a very large church in New York City. And after 15 years of ministry, he started around 1958, but about after 15 years of ministry um, to adults and uh, youth with drug and alcohol addiction, uh, gang members. Uh, have anybody has seen the movie The Cross and the Switchblade? Yes, a good one, right? And uh, uh, Ramon Rosa is right here. He's uh, on staff with Teen Challenge, so he's very familiar with David Wilkerson. But... Um, David continued fearlessly to proclaim the gospel wherever God led him to go. So he started in New York City. He was actually from a farm in Pennsylvania, right outside of Pittsburgh. And uh, he came to New York City. He ministered to the gang members. He then went to Los Angeles, Skid Row. He even went to the slums of Nairobi, Nairobi, Kenya. And many lives were transformed through his ministry. As he proclaimed the gospel, as he faced the uh, atrocities in places where nobody else would go because they were scared for their lives. But David Wilkerson and his staff went in there. Nicky Cruz, uh, some of you may know him, a well-known gang member, threatened to kill David Wilkerson. And David responded, if you cut me up into a thousand pieces, a thousand pieces will say, Jesus loves you. And Nicky Cruz was so taken back by this that he broke down he received the Lord, and then he became a world evangelist as well. And so there's so many stories that happened back then. But in 1973, about 15 years after this ministry was just expanding, David Wilkerson had a vision of future impending moral and spiritual decline along with catastrophic events that were going to happen in the United States and in the, around the world. And his words and the vision focused on the breakdown of the traditional marriage and the family, a drug epidemic moving across the land, an increase in sexual immorality and economic collapse, a great falling away of clergy and people of faith, just giving up the faith and, and losing their faith. And he told of climate changes and earthquakes and natural, natural disasters even before climate change was even a byword around that we talk about now. And in 1973, most people, when he began to share the vision, most people said to him, David, it's a good vision, but don't share it publicly. People will think you are crazy. In fact, it'll ruin your ministry. In fact, people will think you're sensational, that you're just exaggerating things. They'll misunderstand you. You'll be misrepresented. You'll be critiqued, and you'll lose your ministry. And But David continued to preach, and he said, I cannot help but give this vision. And so I remember in 1973 buying a vinyl record album with the vision on it, the, 1970, the vision that David Wilkerson, and listening to it and being so convicted about what was happening in the world and the soon return of Christ if these things were going to be happening and if judgment was going to be coming in the world, and it stirred me to want to even know more and get closer to God. So it was definitely something that God had given him. But he said he did face a lot of criticism 
And what I, why did I bring up David Wilkerson's story? And it's because when you decide to follow Christ and when you go wholeheartedly after Jesus Christ, not everybody is going to accept what you feel, what you say, and what you think about God and even the actions that you're willing to take to follow after God. In fact, if you read the Old Testament, we're talking about the life of Isaiah. We're going through a series of messages in, about Isaiah and what he proclaimed. He was a prophet in about 750 B.C. And many of the things that he was spoke about and, and had to, to reveal to the people weren't very pleasant to hear because the Assyrians were coming and they were going to take captive and destroy the nation of Israel and Judah and Jerusalem and, and destroy the city. So when Isaiah started to proclaim that, people got upset, understandably. And they wanted him to keep quiet, but he didn't. And I've thought about prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. As you read their words and their stories, I'm taken back by what they were willing to do and how they proclaimed their message. Because you've got to think about it. They didn't have videos. They didn't have photography. They became oftentimes the metaphor that God used to communicate to the community and the people around them what he was about to do. And so I started to do some research on some of the prophets. And there's different things. Ezekiel had to live on his side, laying down on the ground, for 390 days. Because for 390 days, the people of Israel had turned away from the living God. And as Ezekiel laid on his side in the middle of the town square, people would come around and they would say, what are you, what are you doing here? And he says, I'm, I'm telling the people, God has told me to do this, to proclaim that we've been sinning and we need to repent. Then he had to do it for another 40 days for the people of Judah because they had been disobeying God for 40 years, and so one day for every year. Then there's Jeremiah. He's left for dead in a cistern, he, uh, a, a large well where they capture water, and they keep water, but it was dry cistern, but it was full of mud. And it says that Jeremiah sank down into the mud. He was there for several days until somebody rescued him, just because he was proclaiming the truth about what God had told him. And then you have Isaiah. Isaiah. I never really noticed this before. Isaiah had to walk for three years through the city with only a loincloth on. I mean, he was basically almost naked. And he had to walk around telling people that if they were trusting in Ethiopia or Egypt to save them from the Assyrians, they were misguided and their trust was misguided. He said, because in three years, what's going to happen is, in a short time, the Assyrians are going to come and they're going to overtake Egypt and Ethiopia, who you're trying to trust in, and they'll leave them as captives back to their land, like slaves, naked. So I'm thinking, how would you like to be Isaiah's son? You know, like my dad is walking around like this, and he's saying this. I mean, talk about being a PK son, you know, being, being somebody that was Isaiah's son, that would be a tough one to follow up. But you see, all of this happens 
in the Bible, in the Old Testament, when you're familiar with the Old Testament, you begin to read it, you hear stories, whether it be Queen Esther had to request for the king to protect her uncle and the nation of Israel. And if she asked in the wrong way, she could be killed, but she had to do it. She was born for that day. Elijah prays against a wicked king, and his enemies enemies um, are trying, you know, he he. He prays against a wicked king, and then he prays that there would not be any rain for three years. And then he has to go in the desert and hide. And while he's there, he's fed by ravens. So the ravens are bringing him food, little pieces of meat. Now, would you eat meat given to you by a bird? Talk about salmonella poisoning, right? But Elijah, Elijah had to do that. You know, sometimes we don't think, we just read the stories and we think, oh, these guys, oh, that's what they did. Did it for, you know, Isaiah had to do that for three years. Elijah had to do that for three years. Daniel, while he's just praying, he gets arrested and he's thrown into a lion's den. And then the Bible says, God shut the mouths of the lions and he escaped. Why did all of these men and women, why were they willing to give their complete allegiance and loyalty to God? Even in the face of danger, even in the face of things that were coming against them that could cost them their lives, why did they do that? Because they understood and knew that God was real, that He had a purpose and a plan and He was working and moving and His plan would not stop just like we sang about this morning. They saw the victory coming before the victory was there. They saw God moving among them. And sometimes they didn't even feel it, but they believed that God was at work. Now as we go through the book of Isaiah, we talked a couple weeks ago about Isaiah 6, God's calling to Isaiah, and a couple weeks ago we talked about chapter 7 and 8 and 9. And we went into the beginning of chapter 9, and we talked about how Isaiah was living in a very difficult time. The nation was in one of the darkest times spiritually. And the kingdom, the northern kingdom of Israel, was already being attacked by the Assyrians and taken captive. And so Isaiah says these words, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress, In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And we understand and we know that to be the ministry of Jesus Christ when he came. Where was he born? He was born in Bethlehem, but then he lived in Nazareth which is just north of the Sea of Galilee, and he did all of his ministry right around the Sea of Galilee. Eleven of the twelve disciples of Jesus were from Galilee, where they were from the areas of that, of that town, of, of that lake, the Sea of Galilee. And what happened is that they began to see that God had not forgotten them, that even though they were the least of the people in Israel, the nation that had turned... Away from him, God had still remembered them and was bringing them back into a close relationship with him. He sent his son to die for them. And so 
in the midst of Isaiah's prophecy, there's this picture of a time coming when Jesus Christ will sit on the throne and he will rule over all the nations. And so when you look at prophecy, there's an immediate meaning to the prophecy when the prophet gives it, but then there's also a coming meaning, uh, meaning to that prophecy, and then one that will be far into the future, even into eternity. And this is what Isaiah was saying. He's saying, you've enlarged the nation, increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice in the harvest. So there is a sense that God was going to do something like a wonderful harvest, and he was going to be meeting them in a powerful way like nothing had ever happened before. And then he refers to a battle on the day of Midian's defeat. And that's the story of Gideon. How did Gideon defeat the armies of Midian? And he did it by only an army of 300 people. The Midianites had made an alliance with the Amalekites and other nations, and they had tens of thousands of people. And God told Gideon, I want you to take a lantern, and I want you to take a torch, and I want you to surround that army as much as you can, space yourself out, and then when I give the word, I want you to smash the lantern, put up your light, and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. And they did that, and the armies turned on one another, and they defeated. the whole. All the armies battled with one another, and Gideon with 300 men delivered the people of God. He says, it's in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across the shoulders, the rod of their oppressors. Every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, with, will be fuel for the fire. And when you think about Jesus' ministry, now Isaiah is talking about a time that's coming when somebody will come, not with, a, with an army, not with a political agenda, but just by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he will gain the victory for us. And isn't that what Jesus did? Now, now you got to think about this. Isaiah is writing about a time 750 years before Jesus is even born. That's why the Bible is so powerful. That's why it's so true and so reliable that we can, we can trust in what the Word of God says. But more than that, we trust in the character of God who is faithful to accomplish what he's promised and what he will do. See, Jesus, it says, and as we, it was, as we said, and even as Pastor Peter prayed this, this morning, Jesus is the bondage breaker. And it says, the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors, it'll be shattered. And Jesus is able to shatter the bondage and the burden that we carry that is not of him. He's able to deliver. And that's what he did as he ministered, you know, 2,000 years ago, as he walked through the land, as he helped people, as he ministered to people, he was able to do that. And that's the wonderful thing about Jesus Christ. No other figure in history but Jesus Christ could fulfill the prophecies that were written by Isaiah. 
And as I shared before, Isaiah is the most quoted prophet in the New Testament. He's quoted more than any other prophet. Why? Because God had given him a vision of the exalted Jesus Christ before Jesus was born. Before God became flesh and dwelt among us. And one of the things that Isaiah's prophecy talks about is the incarnation of Christ. You'll not see that in any other religion. You'll not see that in any other ancient writing. But you'll see it in the Bible that God loved us so much that he wanted to identify with us and became a man, took on flesh and blood, and became one of us so that he could go to the cross and sacrifice himself so that we could be forgiven of sin, so that his blood could forgive us of our sin. That's an amazing thing. But Isaiah wrote about it over 750 years before it happened. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. Today in our adult Sunday school, and if you have time to come to this, I really encourage you to do it. We're going through the gospel of Mark in our adult Sunday school. But it was a tremendous verse, just the first 13 verses that we went through in Mark chapter 1. But it talked about Jesus Christ coming on the scene, and John the Baptist was going to baptize him. And John the Baptist said, I'm not worthy to even untie the sandals of this one who's coming. He's far greater than me. I baptize with water, but he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And so John the Baptist was taken back by the, by the beauty and the, the person of Jesus Christ and his magnificence because he being God, the almighty, everlasting God, became a man. Isaiah talked about it. And he said, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Again, he said, Isaiah said this in Isaiah 7, 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now you remember the story of Mary being visited, Mary and Joseph being visited by an angel. And remember, uh, Joseph was thinking about considering uh, divorcing Mary or putting her away, breaking their engagement. But then in a dream, an angel appeared to him and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. This is from Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 and 22. And verse 22 says this, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive, give birth to a son, and they'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Think about that. Jesus came to be God with us. And God with us in this world gives us hope, gives us strength, gives us the ability to face the things and the difficulties we may be going through if we understand and know that God is with us. 
And Jesus wants us to understand that and to sense his presence in our lives. Then it goes on to say, he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Didn't we just sing that song, Waymaker? What's the next verse? Miracle Worker? Light of the Darkness, right. Those are some of the words right taken right out of Isaiah, describing who Jesus is. Yeah, that he's able to do what nobody else can do. And he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You may say, Pastor Al, didn't you say his name was Emmanuel? Why are they calling him now Wonderful Counselor? Why are they calling him Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace? Because Jesus has many names, just like you and I have many names. I'm Pastor Al. To somebody else, I'm Al. To my mom, I'm Alan. To the little kids, I'm Grandpa. And to some other people, I can't say what my name is. You know people call you different names, right? But God has a variety of names, but they all describe much of his character and who he is. And Jesus' name is the name above all names. The idea that Isaiah was saying is that Jesus is going to be king of all the earth, and he is going to be coming, and he is going to come and proclaim his kingdom to us. Now, it's, now, prophecy is pretty interesting because when you study the prophets, you have to understand something. Like if you were driving from Kansas to the Rocky Mountains, all of a sudden you'd see these mountains coming up in your, uh, through your windshield, right? I've done this before. And it seems like, oh, there's, there's this high mountain there. You know, there's just there's one set of mountains. And then when you get up, if you go into Colorado and then you start to drive up and down the roads, you realize that the mountains that you saw are not the only mountains. There are miles upon miles of mountains. And then once you're in the mountains, you're then in the valley. And then you look around you and you see mountains behind you and you see mountains in front of you. And that's a little bit like how prophecy is. Sometimes there's immediate meaning to that prophecy, but sometimes it's also going to be into the future. And the kingdom of God is like that. It's right here, right now, with us, right now. Jesus says, I will be with you right now, but not yet in all his fullness that we'll experience in eternity. And so when you're reading the prophets, don't get discouraged. Because we're living in the valley, we're looking at things that have happened 2,000 years ago, and we're looking ahead to things that could be happening in our lifetime or just beyond into eternity when, he, when Jesus Christ comes back. But why are they written? They're written to give us hope. They're written to give us a sense that God is in control and that nothing can stop his plan. If you think about these names, he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And you then look at the, at the Gospel of John, chapter 14. Jesus has just had uh, his last supper with his disciples. He's going to go to the cross. And then the people, his disciples say, Jesus, he said, I'm going to be leaving you. I'm going to be leaving you. Oh, Jesus, can we go with you? No, you can't go with me. But you'll know the way. And they said, no, we don't know the way. He said, I'm the way. 
I'm the truth. I'm the life. Anyone who wants to come to the Father must come through me. And then they say, so he said, well, Lord, where are you going? I'm going to, to the Father. Lord, show us the Father. And Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And what Jesus is saying, I am the fulfillment. I'm the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. At the end of the Gospel of John, chapter 14 and verse 26, Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you, I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the one that ushers in his peace into our lives when we're faced with trouble or discouragement or doubt or fear. He's the wonderful counselor. He said, I will send you a comforter or a counselor who will be with you forever, the Holy Spirit the wonderful counselor. And that word wonderful means wonders, power, miracles, miraculous counselor. God is able to do beyond what we can do ourselves. And he continues on in this next verse in Isaiah. It says, of his greatness, of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice, righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty, he will accomplish this. You see, Jesus always taught about his kingdom coming in fullness. Do you know how he taught us to pray? He said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus was saying, Pray for the kingdom to come and for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we are to pray that way. We're supposed to ask and expect God's kingdom to come here on earth. But it's not going to come in all its fullness until Jesus returns. Isaiah continues to exalt Jesus Christ in his ministry. And why does he do that? Because he understands and knows, or God has given him these words to share so that we will be expecting Jesus Christ to do something that we could never do. And that's to save us, to bring us salvation, to bring us forgiveness, and to then usher us into his kingdom and what he wants us to do. That's why... Jesus being the King of kings and Lord of lords is so important. You know, the government will be on, of his greatness, of his government and peace, there will be no end. You know, today, it seems like governments, whatever they are, whether they're democracies or uh, communism, uh, whether they're dictators or monarchies, they're truly not run by God, right? Even our country is not run by God. We live in a democracy, but we can tell that you couldn't say that America is a country that loves God or is a government that is always seeking after God's will. We couldn't say that. And every government in every kingdom that there ever has been in the history of the world has always fallen. It's always failed. It's never continued on forever and ever and ever. The only kingdom that will ever continue on forever and ever and ever 
is the kingdom of God. And so our allegiance, our loyalty, needs to be to a higher king, to the king of kings and lord of lords. It's not that we shouldn't be involved in politics or be involved in government or vote or pray or work for social justice. We should. And I've done that in my life. But I also know that any cause in any, uh, any group that is trying to bring change, there's a limit on what kind of change we can bring because we live in a fallen world. It doesn't mean that we give up on that, but we have to keep in mind that the end of the story is not the end until God brings it to an end. The end of the story is still unfolding. We're still got another chapter to live. But we are to follow what Jesus told us to do. And that means to be people that have wisdom and insight and care for the poor and are involved in social justice and helping people be free of sin. God wants us to do that. I just want to close with a few verses from Isaiah chapter 11 because Isaiah continues on in this vein. He says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Now, what does that mean? It doesn't mean that Jesse had a stump leg or something like that. You know, had a wooden leg and it was his stump. No. The, the stump of Jesse is his family tree. It was cut down. David's kingdom was cut down. And all that remained was a stump. But da uh, Jesse was David's father. And so this is the line of David from whom the Messiah would come. And so he said, this stump that's been cut down, the Assyrians will come in, they'll decimate our country, but there is going to come one of the root of Jesse, and he will come, and his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Wouldn't you like to meet somebody like that? That had a spirit of wisdom and understanding, of counsel and might, of knowledge and the fear of the Lord? There is a person that you can meet like that. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's exactly who we need to meet and who we need in our lives. We need wisdom. We need understanding. We need counsel. And God has called us to know and follow after him. And so the ministry of Jesus was this. He didn't judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor on the earth. And you see Jesus' ministry, even when he comes up against a woman who's caught in the very act of adultery and they're ready to stone her, Jesus writes on the, on the ground. You see, he doesn't, he doesn't succumb to the appearance of what looks like a person should be shunned or judged. But he has wisdom. And everybody walks away and then he tells that woman, you know, I forgive you. Now go your way and stop sinning. Jesus is able then to do all these things. But then it, it moves ahead to the next mountain range. He says, he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips he'll slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness, the sash, sash around his waist. 
Not only will Jesus be the Savior of the world, but he's also coming to judge the world. And this is a real thing that is going to happen someday. Every one of us must stand before the judgment throne of God. Now, if you're a Christian, you stand before the judgment throne of Christ, and you give an account of your life and your allegiance and your loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're not a believer, you will stand before the judgment throne of God, the white throne judgment. And that will be a difficult time. If you don't know Jesus Christ, he said you'll be separated from God forever in hell. That's the truth of what Jesus came. That's why Jesus came. That's why we need him as a savior. Because there really is a hell. There really is a judgment coming. And the only way to escape it is by having Jesus Christ as our savior and our Lord. But then there's going to come a time, it says in uh, Isaiah eleven six, the wolf will lie down with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion, the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. It describes a picture of things that are opposite. Those things just don't happen. You don't have a lion laying down, a leopard with a goat, or a lion, a wolf with a lamb. Usually a wolf will eat a lamb. But in the coming kingdom of heaven, there's going to be peace. There's going to be a reversal of things. There's not going to be any more fallen uh, sin or brokenness, but it'll be a beautiful place of peace. So Isaiah says again, and the reason Isaiah says again is because the Apostle Paul, in writing to the Romans, he quotes Isaiah. Many times he quotes Isaiah. And he says this, Isaiah still says this. And he says, again, he says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over nations, that'll be the Lord Jesus, and him the Gentiles will hope. And he's saying, that's you guys, you Romans. And that's anybody who's not a Jew. He is for all people, all nations, all languages can come and receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. And then he says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him. And there's a key there. As you trust him, you'll be filled with hope. You'll overflow with joy and peace as you trust him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. What a great promise. And the promise is given based on what Isaiah said and based on what Jesus Christ has done, the fulfillment of all the prophecies spoken about him. So what are the action steps? Listen. Listen to what God is saying to you today. You know, he primarily speaks to us through the word of God. Get into the word of God and hear him speak to you. Have hope. Take his promises, his word, his presence. Wherever you go, wherever he leads you, take his promises and his hope in your life as a reality so that you can face you can face whatever's going to happen this week. You can face whatever's going to happen in years to come. Remember that his kingdom rule is for all eternity. 
The end of the story is still unfolding. God is still at work. He is not finished with you yet. He's not finished with me yet. He's not finished with what he's going to do in this world. He still has a heart for people to come to know him. And then make decisions and plans with the resurrected king and his eternal kingdom in mind. Now, this is so important. You see, one day, we're going to take our last breath. We don't know when that is, but the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, and then there's judgment. So we have a short space of time between our birth and our death. There's a little dash there. And what we do with our lives here will exemplify what we believe here. And God is always challenging us to trust Him. He's asking us, what do you believe in? Who do you believe in? Who will you follow? And for Isaiah and for people in the Bible, the people that really lived their life well, they followed God. They trusted in Him. They trusted in the Lord Jesus and hope overflowed in their lives as they trusted in Him. You know, when my hope gauge goes down, I have to examine, what am I trusting in? Who am I trusting in? What's going on? My hope gauge goes down, I've got to take an examination of my life and my, my perspective and what am I thinking of? And when we exalt Jesus Christ in our life, when our eyes get turned upward towards Him, I guarantee you, your hope rises as well. So let's put our place, place our hope and our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, today, if you need prayer for anything, uh, we're here to pray with you. And uh, I just want to encourage you, place your hope in the Lord. Get into the book of Isaiah. Read, read the book of Isaiah. Um, it's, got, it's so full of hope and promises and exalts the person of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you that you are the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Lord, that you displayed that when you died on the cross for us, but even greater you displayed it when you rose from the dead. And Lord, you have for centuries called people to follow you, called people to give their allegiance and their loyalty to you. And today, Lord, we, we lay our lives before you. We ask that we would be those kinds of people that live for you, that love you. We pray this in Jesus' name.